And here we are, back with your livable garden. Michael Sean, along with... Belinda and Kelly. Having a good time this weekend talking about the the summer sultry oasis. Now, I've got to tell you, this is interesting, because back when I was in school as a landscape architect, or studying to become a landscape architect, we went through all the different types of design, all the different types of gardens throughout the world, and there was something that I saw about these Islamic gardens that really... I found amazing, and I've actually been using some of the design principles really on almost every design I've done throughout my life. But there is this this oasis feel about this beautiful garden where they're tying plants and geometry and water, and and it's such an incredible, uplifting feel. I thought, you know, rather than me talk about it, why don't we go to a, um, well, someone who really knows what they're talking about. Now, Emma Clark has written a book called The Art of Islamic Gardens. We have her. She's uh, over in the middle of England someplace that we have tracked down through our great resources here. And uh, I believe we have Emma on the phone. Ms. Clark, are you there? I am. Yes, I am. Hello. Wow. Thank you so much for joining us from uh, across the pond, so to speak. Um, And I would just like to say I I love this book that you have written. I'm um, so inspired design-wise. I thought maybe you could give us a, a brief... Um, maybe a brief outline on the elements of Islamic gardens and how, how they affect people and just how beautiful they are and how, they, how they're put together. I know, I know a few minutes is not enough. Hopefully we can do a whole show maybe on this beautiful garden technique. But if you could just enlighten us a bit. Uh, well, yes, that's a big question. You might have to interrupt every so often just to um, remind me of the many elements. But I think first and foremost, of course, you were talking about an oasis and I mean, the Islamic garden did really grow out of the fundamental oasis, the, the, the two principal elements, which is water and shade. And um, I mean, and this was uh, when the Quran was revealed in the 7th century, of course, um, it, one of the main chapters, the chapter of mercy, talks um, about this, the uh, gardens of paradise. And you could say, really, that any Islamic garden is a kind of way of recapturing this paradise, so to give us an idea of the paradise garden that we hope to go to, and also just to give us, um, it's also a, a symbol, it's, it's a way of reminding us that um, the garden on earth is transitory, but the one in heaven is eternal. Exactly. But um, uh, more practically speaking, you know, how do, how do we capture some of this, this contemplative feeling? Because I think that is the special quality of Islamic gardens. There is the the intention that's behind it, the um, this intention of uh, re- reminding us about this world in a way being a symbol of, of of a higher world. So the water in the water in the centre of an Islamic garden is is a kind of an echo of the fountains which are described as being in the heavenly garden and the shade, of course. But um, above and beyond that, we have many other elements. You mentioned geometry the fourfold design, which is called the Chahar Bagh, which is, this is a Persian word, because they excelled in gardens in, in Iran, or Persia, as it used to be called. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, balanced with this, of course, is very luxurious growth, and I very luxurious trees and shrubs and flowers and plants and scent. scent and it's, it's such a contrast between, you know, it, and I think that's what makes the oasis, is the contrast between the area around the garden and the garden itself. Yes, that is extremely important. I think this idea of sanctuary, 
because um, they're wonderful. Um, I mean, if you've driven through the desert at all, and actually you, you're in Texas, I think, and I think there's <laughs> desert there. We there? have all yes, parts sir. of strange um, seasons and um, geography here in Texas. Yes, ma'am. Yes, well, I think probably England fits into one corner of, of, of Texas, so um, we, have a more, <laughs> we have a more limited um, climate here. But, I mean, if you imagine, yes, in the Middle East, you um, when you see something dark and green and your eyes have been used to sand and grey and dryness and heat, it's really quite miraculous, the effect that the green can have on the eye and the sound of water as well. So all the and and as you say, it becomes a sanctuary. You you it's it's a sort of haven. And there's the idea of the walled area. I think para, paradise comes from the Persian word again, paradesa, which means enclosure. It means you know it's a walled area. Mm-hmm. So within there is this fantastic sort of well oasis. One one always comes back to the same word, but it's an oasis of lush green and and running water. I think the idea of running water is very important. It's never Oh, it's very rarely still. I mean, it can be still in a pool, so you have the wonderful reflective qualities. But running water is very important, and there are many different, many different features in an Islamic garden in different parts of the Islamic world where the water can run over carved stone. I noticed. I, I did. I had a quick look at the website before um, before this interview, and I noticed you have some carved stones in some of your gardens, so the water runs over it. Yes, ma'am. And then the light, the sunlight catches on it, you see, all the whole sort of, and light is very important, and the idea, and the, per, the, the pergola with um, patterns, which you get in Mughal India a lot, it's not really a pergola, these, they're called jali screens, so you have the sunlight, <laughs> do you know, they're jali, J-A-L-I, you have the sunlight coming through the screens. Um, this is very important, and the whole link. Another element of an Islamic garden is, the, is this link with architecture. Actually, it's, very, it's an important um, idea—the idea of the sort of outside room. Oh, that's what I move. love so much about it, because that tra- you there seems to be—it's all about living space. In in one area, slowly just moves into the outdoor living space from the indoor living space, and the architecture and the structures tie it together so well. Exactly. Exactly. This is this is. Um, an essential element, really, especially if you travel. I don't know how much you've travelled or how many of you've been to Europe, but the most one of the most famous Islamic gardens we can say is at the Alhambra in Spain. Yes, um, that that was and, my introduction. Now I was not there, but studying it is what was my um, I guess what caused me to just become so wondrous and wanted to study this type of gardening because that was the favorite of all the ones we studied back in school. I said this applies to my day-to-day life more so than any of these other gardens. Yes, well, especially if you especially if it's hot where you come from. There's because I mean what's so beautiful there is you just go from one sort of small space to another. There are these I mean the idea of the garden room has been a, around for a long time, but I sort of feel that they've rather excelled in that and the many different um fountains you but they're all very they're very sober in a way. You don't have this sort of gushing water which you get in municipal fountains quite often. We get, in in London we get these sort of huge, huge affairs with right. water everywhere. But the idea of water in Islamic garden was really very. Um, it was very, it was quite subtle and and it's a very intimate and, and very intimate tranquil. scale, isn't it? It's, it's so intimate. And it's though. an intimate scale. Right. It, yeah, very, very. Especially the Alhambra and the Henralife, the Henralife Gardens next door. You never feel overwhelmed. It's something really is very very magical about about that garden. Even though, of course, it you know it hasn't been. It's been under Christian rule for 
700 years or something now. But um, no, I think as a first taste that of, of an Islamic garden, that, that I would go for that. The water also in, in Seville. And yes, I mean, many, obviously, I can, I'm sure, as you know, it's been manifested all over the Islamic world in different, um, in different ways, Mughal gardens. They've excelled, of course, in the mausoleum garden, where you, the Taj Mahal being, being the most famous example, which, you know, just simply wouldn't have the effect it has if it were not at the head of that really magnificent garden with the right. fountain and the... Well, the it gives that sense of unity or order and... And quite frankly, that's, I'm so that's pleased you mentioned that because that is fundamental. You've obviously had a look at my book, or you just know it anyway. <laughs> well, no, no, I've learned no. a lot from Sean, and I, I pretty much am kind of boring. I don't, you know, I have to have a sense of order in order to feel um, calm or settled or whatever. And um, I love the water out there because I think it does bring life or activity into a garden when nothing at all is out there. But when you hear that water trickling or moving and just that simplicity, it just seems like life. There's activity, right? But that that sense of order is so important to me that things are they're in their place but that that sense of unity too that ties that place in to you you know when you walk into that garden so mm. no I'm not an expert in any way but I I know how I feel when I enter certain gardens well no that's all that's really important things to say because I think the sense of unity underlies everything and it it needn't be too overt and you know the order can be quite subtle because one doesn't want it to become regimented and too obvious because you want to have a lot of planting as a balance, you know, as a balance to the order. So, you know, the geometry underlying it might, you know, it might not be obvious, but as you say, there is this underlying sense of unity, and that really comes from, I mean, from a certain understanding of what what the Quran is about, but not just the Quran, of course. I mean, um, you know, all all religions have have this idea of our connection with the world around us. Exactly, right. It's a sort of cosmological connection, and, and as you say, with with ourselves, and I think it's about centering. There, there's also this idea of a, of a of a kind of journey when you go into a garden. And I've noticed where what you know where does one end up in a garden? You always end up around water because that's where we feel at home. And that's you know there's this in Islam in the Islamic sort of cultural aspect there is this understanding that water is a symbol of the soul as well. So I think when you're sitting next to it, you can you know, you can really begin to appreciate that if one has the time to sit. And, right, and, and that's the key thing, taking the time to sit and mm. just enjoy. And Well, um, Ms. Clark, I'll tell you what, the, uh, the book is, now I'm not even sure when you wrote this book. I should probably find it because, uh, when was this, when did this book come out, The Art of Islamic Garden, of the Islamic um, Garden? The Art of the Islamic Garden, well, it came out in paperback about two years ago, but I wrote it about maybe at least six years ago, actually. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, hasn't... Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I hope that we have an, an opportunity later on to um, have a more in-depth discussion about this because these gardens and the techniques are so applicable to the gardens uh, that we need here, the very small gardens, the, the small areas we have to work with to uh, create that outdoor space, which is a transition between our uh, the inside of our houses and outside, especially in this climate. So um, yeah. I really appreciate your time, and hopefully... Um, You'll let us call you up at whatever time you are over there in the middle of uh, England now so we can continue this discussion later. (laughs) Very good, very good. Thank you very much. Thank you, Emma. You're a joy to have, and we adore your accent. It's so beautiful. (laughs) 
Oh, all right. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Goodbye. Goodbye, dear. That's Emma Clark, and it's a great book. The the principles in this book and how they apply to design, I I use them all the time. Um, You probably would not recognize it, but the the geometry, the order, and how you uh, mix water and plantings and hard surfaces is... uh, uh, all of those traits are so incredible and how they show up in a garden, how you feel so comfortable in them. It's a great book to have for any student of design or anyone who's trying to develop a courtyard.